everybody welcome to agitator today on the show we're talking about how sue the 1977 horror comedy directed by nobuhiko obayashi and today on the show we have very special guest visual artist writer rapper aggressively ethnically ambiguous reese langston <laughs> hey guys what's up how you doing good good how's everybody feeling tonight good i need a um little like b vitamins you know for some energy but hopefully this will be you know the replacement for that <laughs> yeah yeah we'll get some hype going i got i have gotten in the bad habit of uh drinking monsters like water basically i just don't uh sleep <laughs> and actually i've got i've got the white ultra sitting over here right now that's where you're getting your b vitamins though that's got the niacin it's got the b12 i found out a fun fact today because we're recording this on 9 11 never forget and i found out that in 2002 monster was created inspired by 9 11 so to speak to fuel the troops in afghanistan so it started off as a like a patriotic uh project by the coca-cola company and now it's just kind of monster and I was like motocross and shit. Yeah. <laughs> BMX, yeah, exactly. M for motocross is what I'd have come up with before M for military. I didn't, uh, I didn't realize that. But Reese, I heard you talking on another show. Was it Two Virgins? I think was the name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it. So you you mentioned in that uh, writing as being your way into music and exploring rhythm within words. And that resonated like big time because David and I, we're both, uh, we're both authors, novelists. And that like, for me personally, I was always a music guy, but it was hard to like keep a band together or whatever. And I wasn't like that good at guitar or anything. I was really good at writing lyrics and that just kind of spiraled into coming up with stories and like still just exploring a, rhythm within like syntax and like how aesthetically how words look next to each other more than any kind of care for clarity or anything like that yeah yeah rhythm is kind of gotten me through a lot in 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 many mediums and writing in particular yeah i've always liked when i can when i read something where the words kind of move uh, you know, in the most extreme cases when they kind of, I feel like they're dancing and my head's just like, whoa, what the, you know, what, what is kind of, what's kind of happening, feeling set off that way. And I think, you know, being a rapper, you know, it's, it's, it is a bit, it's percussive and it's just this kind of interesting way that I could go into, uh, I guess just, I, I had a lot to say. I felt like I was a teenager, at least. I should. I, I felt. I felt like I had a lot to say. I didn't probably have that much to say. Um, so <laughs> I started, you know, getting into music. You know, as a teen, you have this angst, or you have this kind of. You you become immediately um, conscious to things going on in the world, and you think you're the first person discovering things. Um, music uh, that 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 avenue into music. Um, it just felt like the the best tool I had to tap in there. And I've noticed that, you know, when I work in, in more literary styles too, I read things over, I write things, and I, I always just have that, that kind of idea of a pulse, if it's an actual rhyme, or if it's, 
in punctuation or if it's in like alliteration and you know i mean that that's like that those are very like official formal things you know sometimes it's more of a feel thing i think at the end of the day i'm babbling a little bit but um i think what rhythm does is it just gives things feel and i've always like trusted feel um as maybe imprecise or vague as that can sound no for sure i think in talking about a lot of your work whether it's your visual art or your music it, it, it's hard to articulate a lot of that stuff like because it's a uh, sort of this abstract feeling well i like i like the talking about the rhythm and the ineffable quality of words and how there are two types of writers and two types of readers there mm -hmm. are people who are reading for the structure the craftsman the the plot oriented character oriented pace oriented typewriters and then there are people who vibe out on something like i don't know blake butler which is just will sometimes be page long paragraphs of words that don't often make sense but are able to create a hypnotic almost uh narcotic feeling inside of you and a lot of people i think obviously move towards the former rather than the latter talking about Haosu, this is a movie that's definitely like this is a movie that was made with no storyboards that was made with very little planning when they started off except for a few loose ideas that the filmmaker's daughter child daughter uh, gave to him <clears throat> but i like that i like that vibe oriented art creation versus you know i'm going to take this plot i'm going to take joseph campbell's hero's journey and i'm going to follow it step by step by what, what do i do in my second act what do i do in my third act i don't fucking know man just write some cool words that just make your brain go nuts yeah i think that that also as, a, as opposed to considering formalism or anything like it push you through for moments when you're stuck you know it's very if you if you're following kind of a um things have to happen in this way or things should happen in this way it's a lot easier to get get tripped up and i've found that i've obviously done more linear things like that or more uh, i wouldn't say explicit but more um stuff that has more of a progression but i always find that i can push through a little bit better and i can always just kind of have uh it's it's an energy thing yeah really, going back to monster you know <laughs> um mm -hmm. it's, it's an energy thing where i think at the end of the day any art creation has to come with a type of energy behind it and it's sometimes easier to get that like kind of inertia or some kind of force that's building and just going on its own when you can kind of just go with it and let it take you somewhere you know one thing leads to another to another to another to another the free association i think extends a lot into into my work into the, the the visual arts into the music into the literature and i really felt that i mean you know i think this is a very good choice for a piece of art to kind of ground us i mean housing for sure the free associativeness of it i really i really i really uh latched on to mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like the the moments when people talk about getting writer's block a lot and mm -hmm. i think that when that happens it's because they forget that it's a that all art is a performance and a conversation with something else. What that something else is, I have my theories, but could be anything. And uh, what I what I'm hearing and what I really like is that you know when the formalist mentality or the the structural uh, craftsmanship breaks down, 
uh, you gotta just kind of ride the pure muse until it comes back again. And also, I mean, like that's that's what editors are made for. And that's what drafting is made for. You know, you can come back to it, but you also want to kind of follow these rabbit holes. I think that ideas, people think that ideas are things that are supposed to be transcribed word for word onto a page, which is a mm -hmm. recipe for failure. But really they're, uh, they're kind of like, you ever seen those traps where there's like a, there's like a box that's propped up with a stick and, and something, you know, like a rabbit goes over and starts eating a carrot and you pull the rope and the, the, they have them trapped. Like that's what an idea is. It's, it's not something that's meant to be transliterated. Uh, it's, it's to entice you into getting into that flow state. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I like, I like that, like the, the image, but I also like that breakdown and that open-endedness too. I think that's a lot of how like I because I'm a South Houston hood rat and kind of a stereotype like I listened to you know came up on Project Pat and screwed up click and like if it's about kicking down doors and you know just getting the bread like that's 100% my shit but I often and even on this show because we talk a lot I think primarily our guest list is rappers I have like brought up how like the uh cerebral rap is like not my shit but i've always said i came across you in a i think 2020 around when language arts unit dropped that's when i became hip to your shit and yeah. immediately fucked with it and i often would try to explain like why i fucked with this because i more consider your stuff like abstract than cerebral necessarily mm -hmm. but but it kind of you know, you can see how like algorithmically it would fall in line with that kind of, I don't know, what do people call it? So condescending when they're like intelligent rap. I'm like, wow, that's really yeah. offensive. But, uh, no, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's because of that abstract, that like, uh, that spirit that you were talking about. It's that element that, that you can't really, um, you can't objectively define, but it's that vibe that's behind it. It doesn't feel like you're there trying to impress people with your wordplay and like the like see what I did there kind of thing. It's like this free associative sort of the, the words themselves as rhythm knocking up against each other in this kind of like with this kind of cellar door quality, right? Or like a or what I, I don't even call it the cellar door quality anymore. I call it the the quench rapidity like a president's daughter's nostrils quality right <laughs> or the or the hey. hose the hose on my dick because i look like a drawing of the prophet muhammad quality like yeah. those words those words just feel so good next to each other yeah i mean i think a large reason why i also sometimes don't resonate with with rap that i might be lumped in with is because it sometimes denies, or not denies, but it tries to shrug off the necessity of having some aesthetic value and having the, I mean, some force and spirit and, and at the end of the day, like rideability that is inherent in, in rap. Like you need to be able to ride to it. It might not be the same kind of ride. You might not be like going in a hoopty, but you know, you could be like kind of, you know, on like a, a fucking uh, weird ass tricycle or something, but you know, you're gonna ride to it. So, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, I feel very fortunate to have like, parents who, who, who support what I'm doing and uh, really are encouraging. 
And my mom said something that I was like, well, you, I don't know, like, that's like very, I've never heard anyone say that about my work. She said, you know, like the way I put together words emphasizes like their beauty. And, you know, it doesn't mean necessarily like a beauty of like rolling hills, you know, the dewy trees in the early morning when necessary, but like, you know, just like a, a stirring quality to things. I've always tried to pay mine to. So I'm, 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 I've been, I'm, you know, I'm very I'm glad you uh, have that opinion of it, you know, of the work. And I think I've always been really concerned with as much as making things, bringing out like the impressive qualities of things and the, the beautiful qualities of things or the more aesthetically pleasing quality of things. I've always liked to do that while putting things where they don't necessarily belong and making them belong, challenging that notion um, or that, like just challenging kind of prevailing ideas that I might even have. Um, like, you know, does this, is a song about environmental racism go over like 808s? I don't know. Am I gonna <laughs> do that some way and make it work? Yeah, I did that shit. Governor's water glasses, let's go. Is, is, envi is environmental racism like what's going on in Mississippi now with the water being brown? Yeah. I'm stupid. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that, that, that's actually a very good uh, contemporary example of it. Yeah, I mean, a, okay. lot, a lot of environmental racism would be like, you know, the climate change affecting a lot of like poorer nations and poorer peoples more than, um, you know, which inherently have a racial element on the global scale. Um, like like in Pakistan with the floods and yeah, know, like, yeah, like, like, you know, like. yeah, climate, climate disasters affecting the global south a lot more than maybe the global north immediately. That would be like environmental racism. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't sure about that. Yeah, the the, the stuff. So my favorite uh, era of rap. So I like in the 2010s, I was in college. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really liked that's racist and uh, like Danny Brown's probably my favorite rapper. Um, yeah. But I also really liked uh, Anticon or Anticon. Not sure mm -hmm. how you pronounce that, but like why? I think I've seen Why live like five or six times. And, yeah. You know, Odd, Odd knows them and stuff like that. Like so, this this kind of also by in the Stalin Bollywood record that that kind of gave me TV on the radio vibes. Are you a TV on the radio fan? This is like my favorite band of all time. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I picked up on it, bro. I got I also, it. Bro. I mean, I covered I covered one of their songs on it. King Eternal is the song. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Again, I'm stupid. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I, didn't, I just was listening to it and I was like, you know, these are bangers and it's kind of it's giving me the TV on the radio vibe. So I'm glad that I I'm glad that I got that. Well, <laughs> sometimes I, when I'm talking about music, I feel stupid because I'm not a musician. You know. Dude, I mean, you know. Talking to other musicians and people who like keep references in their back pockets, uh, I I sometimes come across like I haven't heard music in my entire life, so don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like that's common with vibe people though. Like you have like a kind of trivia people who like just they're catalog brained, right? And then when you go off of feeling a lot, it's hard to. I, I wondered in the beginning of this of this show if it was even a good idea like if what I would be able to bring to the table because I'll watch a movie and forget what the fuck just happened I'll just be like yeah I really vibed with that that like that feel you know and it's like <laughs> so how'd the story go it's like I don't fucking remember I don't remember dude <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah very very relatable very very relatable I mean yeah I, I feel like I don't know you know to people, you know, kind of 
I'm sure you, you guys get it too. And if you're like, man, like, you know, you you think about things a lot. Like you're like when they read something you do or listen to something you do, they're like, oh, you're like, you know, smart. You like think about stuff a lot. And, and I feel like, damn, you know, I might come across that way, but I feel like I lose track of shit so easily. And mm-hmm. it takes me a while to, to get something. I, I really like cannot absorb something. And then I really absorb it, you know? Yeah. But, yeah what people what people don't realize when they say that when they'll read my writing and then meet me and be a little disappointed be like oh you're just like a like a guy you know i thought with all these deep thoughts i was like well writing is how i actually think the performance of writing is how thinking actually happens with me otherwise i'm walking around the house being like damn i'm out of the sriracha you know almonds again (laughs) this sucks (laughs) <laughs> or I'm chasing my I'm chasing my son from room to room. I'm really not thinking. On the last note on the TV on the radio thing, uh, you and I are eye to eye on that shit because uh, I wrote this this series of books. It's got three so far. Uh, it started with a book called Black Gum, and the the next book is going to be called Wolf Like Me. So I just ganked that. I was like, let's oh, let's go. Yeah. No, nice man. I love it. So uh, Grapefruit Radio. You are a man who has had, like we just come off of like not thinking about shit, but as far as feeling, it feels like you feel bigly, to use a word that's not really real, about about your projects. Like Language Arts Unit was this like multimedia concept that had like a textbook to go along with it. And even the cover itself, you know, you kind of like did this you performed whether intentionally or not and that's something else i kind of want to get into but like the sort of magic sigil ritual of like putting your own hair into the art of the of the album itself what vibes were you feeling what was the kind of genesis of this latest one at grapefruit radio yeah i was i was just talking to someone about this actually so i won't i will be a lot more cogent and less in like less uh rambly or you know well actually i'm already just proving that point Um, (laughs) but uh yeah i mean this was a surprise album for me you know we think about surprise albums often in like the sense of the artist bringing it on the audience without much lead uh lead time or whatever it was a surprise album for me in the sense yeah exactly a surprise album for me in the sense of I didn't know this was going to turn into um, a sequence of songs and, and something that had an arc and something that I really um, felt like is actually a pretty good representation of a certain side of my music. So I've been working on another album that's really stretched me musically. Uh, I've been, I took up like the clarinet last year just after inheriting one because I wanted to like just try something different and i've been just fucking putting the clarinet in all weird places um playing a lot more bass and guitar but kind of changing a little bit so i did that with stalin bollywood but then this is like the opposite direction where stalin bollywood is very confrontational this other one is it's a lot more in touch with kind of sensitivities which is you know a complete opposite it's it's in touch with um certain leading leading with feeling like actually you know with with um tim like you know timbre and, and stuff like that so grapefruit radio i 
I've been producing out the fuck out of that, just really trying to take control of every element. While doing that, sometime early in 2021, I um, put out a call on Twitter for beats, and obviously, a lot of people, you know, say that that's the worst idea possible because you get a lot of spam emails and DMs from people who just want to send you like generic shit, but. I got really good, a really good batch from, from people, about like 15 to 20 things. The impetus was me just being like, man, I'm, I'm doing so much for this other record. I really just want to kind of write and just have one job rapping at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't want to do all this other shit. So I kind of just was, I sifted through them over, you know, a period of months and was just writing things here and there between working on the more laborious stuff. It was really like one session I'd have a whole song. One like two hour session of writing something down in a notebook, not even recording it, just being like, okay, I've covered the distance of that instrumental's time. All right, like, you know, that's an exercise. That might be an exercise, it might be a song, whatever. And a lot of those, I mean, all of those just turned into songs and turned into like moments kept building of just these songs. And eventually I had maybe six or seven, listened to them in a sequence as I was listening, as I was, you know, just going about life. <laughs> uh, life actually in the last 18 months has been pretty fucking crazy. So it was really, there was just these more spontaneous moments of me just writing, me just having one job and trying to do it well and trying to do it loosely. Like just be very loose about it. What happened in the last 18 months? Did you catch COVID? Cause that shit sucks. We I don't want to do that. I caught COVID like three and a half weeks ago, finally. That shit sucks, bro. Oh yeah, that's, that's why I'm a little like weird today because I think the, the fatigue has gone in and out. And I think today is one of those days where I'm feeling a little tired. Yo, it feels like a, it feels like a software update that's all fucked up where it just presses buttons that don't make any mm -hmm. sense. Like <laughs> one day, one day you feel like you have the flu. And then the next day you can't smell. And then the day after that, you're gonna shit green for no reason. Your shit's yeah. just gonna be green. Uh, I, when I caught COVID, dude, I, I had shit on and off for a month. It just, it just didn't go away. Yeah, I hate COVID. That's my enemy. That's my moral enemy. No, man, that that only happened recently, and 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 fortunately, it's been. It was more of an acute thing, and the only thing that's lingered is really kind of a sense of tiredness, but I think that's also just the heat I'm experiencing here in LA and mm -hmm. uh, doing like triple duties right now before this album comes out. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, as I was writing this, you know, my my cousin, uh, right before I started writing this, my cousin passed away on some really, really random shit. And that I'm was like sorry. insane, yeah. I actually dedicated Stone Bollywood to him because he was the guy who would just like really, really be that kind of X factor in any scenario where he'd just like pull out the, pull out the fucking outrageous energy and really just make everyone kind of lighten up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that happened. Um, I uh, started to have like shoulder cartilage degeneration from an injury that happened. That was all throughout last year. And then the end of last year, I had shoulder surgery, finally repaired it. Um, but I was like really incapacitated for a few months and then did physical therapy and also like got out of a um, Ended a uh, year and a half relationship that was you know, it was it was I don't know really really made an effort to make it work, but it just didn't work out so a lot of those things, you know, kind of just happened in the last 18 months and 
I think, you know, that's informing a lot of the work I'm doing. Grapefruit Radio was kind of, I think when I look through the book component of it, which I just got the copies of, I'm really happy about that. Definitely send me y'all guys as a, you know, addresses. I'll definitely give you a, a copy. Oh, shit. Hello, yeah. Um, there's a lot of just like silliness in it and like levity and, 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 and wit, but also just kind of being completely removed from a lot of the reality that we all live in. A lot of it is like me trying to get out of like depressive states. I mean, there's even moments in the book where I'm kind of talking about, you know, my like Langstonian mythology that I've loosely constructed. You know, I talk about like mythical zones, like the state of exasperation and the river untoward. And I'm just kind of like, you know, damn, were the, was I just writing that because, you know, I was those were like allegories or allusions to the depressive states I was in, you know, and I'm just really kind of riffing on that and having fun with it. So yeah, Grateful Radio, you know, I could I could say more, you know, and I can if you want anything, but uh, yeah, really just moments of spontaneity, just like being like, okay, I'm I'm a rapper. What are the like? What's that's my best instrument? What can I do if I focus on it? That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, DJ Khaled muff diving is really good. That's my, that's my favorite one. I, so I have, a, I have a few questions. Number one, um, actually, no, I'll make that number two. Number one, you talked about, you know, a, the, the death of your cousin and, you know, the fact that that puts you in this state where you don't know what to do because that was your hype guy. Kelby and I relate to that because we had this buddy named Isaac who was a, a mystic astrologer for, uh, for some cartels in Nogales, right? And um, the first time I met Isaac, he, he has an eye patch. He lost his sight. I'll get into that in just a second. Uh, on his right side. But he was wearing this like fur coat, uh, probably eight gold chains, and he was carrying around a glittering small coffin full of tarot cards. And uh, he read my tarot that night and we became like instant best friends and you know he became my kind of go-to astrologer guy because i don't understand that i believe in it but i don't understand it mm -hmm. but uh he he had ehler donlos syndrome which gave him kind of a weird look it, it made his skin uh really thin kind of like crepe paper right um mm. but but it also made his internal organs that way and a few years ago actually right before COVID hit uh, unfortunately, this happens to his uh, his little brother too because they were both born with this syndrome. But in his sleep, his heart just came apart, right? Like it just kind of disintegrated. And I feel like I feel like two and a half years later, like I'm just now coming because like that was my guy, you know. Like that was if I needed to call somebody on the phone and get a little hyped up or or find some kind of direction, that was the dude who I could call and, and talk to about that. And then when they're gone, you're kind of like, fuck, what mm -hmm. do I do? Like, <laughs> I got no direction now, you know? So I I relate to that. But the second thing, you you mentioned a Langstonian mythos and uh, you can't just drop that and then move on. We got to hear more about that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I didn't realize like the kind of, connection, the sonic connection with Stankonia and Langstonia, that was not intentional. 
Uh, if you want to think about oh, like, shit. You know, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't put that together, but I feel like that kind of makes it a little, a bit of an earworm, you know, um, which I'm very grateful for. I'm like, oh yeah, it kind of, it kind of, you know, has that connection there, but it started out me just kind of being into a lot of a really dense kind of old video game uh, RPGs, a lot of high fantasy and and uh, sci-fi and stuff like that. Those were the vehicles that I, you know, kind of early on learned a lot of language from. You know, it's a lot of like decadent kind of elaborate language in fantasy, whether that's movies or novels or um, and sci-fi, you know, and um, or, or video games and even like, you know, uh, card games and comics and stuff like that. So it's kind of always for me been like a, something that grounds me. The um, I wouldn't even say like escapism to those things, but uh, having that as like a alternate reality, I can fish, like I can, I can, I can situate my, I can, I can, I can sit in, I should say. Um, so it's kind of always been just like, yeah, I, I, I had uh, just these names that kept coming to me. And I was someone who's like, I'm fortunate to, as an artist, be able to use my first and middle name because they sound cool recently. Mm -hmm. You know, um, mm -hmm. so I didn't really have to come up with with the artist names, but I had these like really ridiculous names. You know, Chocolate Davis was um, a failed band name that no one but me wanted to use. So I kept that in the back pocket. And then just things like Muckraker Jones, Tercero Washington, Resident Hairbrain, Calculus Jones. Uh, I like that one. All, Resident all, Hairbrain. All these different things. And then I have titles, you know, like the polite force of nature, the uh, freelance eccentric, black identity, trapeze artist. Like, yeah, just things like that. Um, that kind of, I think for me, it's always just been fun to like, whenever mentioning, in terms of promotion, you know, the most cut and dry angle of it, like, you know, is just letting people know what you're doing. So for me in a world that is ever more concerned with always self-promotion, always broadcasting something. It's been a way for me to add an idiosyncrasy there and like add oh, something that kind of glitches. I wouldn't say glitches the system, but I would hope so. But at least makes things a little weird or makes things a little more personal because it's like, oh, hear about my music, hear about my art. It's like the estate of the Lord Chocolate Davis in the land of Langstonia brings you this PSA. <laughs> Yeah. Black Market Poetry Bureau of Internal Affairs. We are releasing a new record. You know, I think just doing being able to do that shit makes the constant posting for these data harvesters a little bit more tolerable. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm and, fucking and, with this big time. Yeah. Yeah. And then with Grapefruit Radio, I you know, I saw the success of Language Arts Unit. You know, I mean success is relative, but you know, I sold 150 copies of the book by myself. Yep, that's I, good. And I, you know, self-printed that and I, you know, made sure it was of quality um, that I say, you know, I'm going to do a book for this project. Yeah. And it allowed me the ability to, um, yeah, kind of be like, well, I had an expository text that was like fun, but it was a fucking pain to write. Let me do something a little more fun, a little more loose. Um, that's not going to like kill me. And I decided to like, kind of write down loose sketches uh, and loose like bits of the mythology formally 
That's so cool. That, that's kind of, you know, I don't know if there's going to be anything from here on out outside of, you know, me kind of using this language that I'm coming up with to present things. Um, but, but, but that's where it's at right now. And that's like how I got there. Yeah. This, this is exactly the tip that people should be on for sure, because you mentioned the fact that everybody now sort of self promotes themselves. Right. So if you take, uh, the kind of master slave dialectic, that Heidegger idea and mm -hmm. internalize it, that's where everybody is now. Byung-Chul Han, uh, who's probably my favorite living philosopher talks about this all the time where we've all become our own bosses essentially we're all concerned mm -hmm. with selling ourselves and making sure that what we do fits into trends and that the language that we're using uh, is up to date sometimes like to the day new trends and memes and twitter bullshit can be created yesterday and you're expected to keep up with it there's <laughs> a there's a thinker uh and a writer, author, podcaster. He's been on, not this show, but my last show. His name is Connor Habib. And he lives in Ireland. Uh, he was a former porn star turned, uh, well, what he is now, basically. Yeah. And he's also uh, an advocate of the, uh, you know, mid, twi mid 20th century thinker, Rudolf Steiner. So Rudolf Steiner had this really weird esoteric Christianity and he, he split everything into, uh, I can't remember what the other side of it, but the bad side of it is is, is Aruman. It's this uh, God figure called Aruman. And Aruman is the spirit of uh, mechanical, uh, archonic kind of uh, uh, production, sort of where we are now, right? So Aruman wants everything to look the same, sound the same, everything to be gray and smooth and boring. And something that Habib said on his podcast was that a way to break out of this was to very specifically focus on the language that you use on a day-to-day -day basis. So if you're walking out of a movie theater and you saw some, and you're trying to explain to your friend how you felt about it and you're like that that movie made me feel like deep purple velvet curtains in an aquarium, you know, with jellyfish, like that kind of dada, surreal, expressive language is actually a kind of tool against this system that we find ourselves in right now, right? So inventing your own language, creating these titles, creating these aliases is psychically very important for the moment that we're in right now. Yeah, hey, I mean, I, I, I feel that all the time. So um, the fact that there are thinkers who are, I mean, I, I, of course there are, you know, no one, no idea is, we don't, we don't own really any ideas. Um, but the fact that, you know, you know, you've read people who've, who've talked about that and have, you know, means to circulate it. That's really dope. And the fact that like, yeah, I think that that is really important. I, you know, I also take it from, for me, it's always been inspiring to, look at and it's in a, it's in a weird inflection point right now but just look at the history of of hip-hop culture and uh black language and know that it was always just kind of like it, it has always been a survival mechanism and a way of like i guess protecting the mind i've always been very 
very that's been very important for me you know is is thinking about protecting the mind as like part of all of this <laughs> psychological warfare and kind of political um turmoil and post-colonial world we're living in right now it's like it's it is a very um hard thing sometimes to cut to because it requires actual agency it requires people mm -hmm. to act the agents of correct of their of the change that they want to create and want to embody and, and, and circulate you know that individual agency is very important and that's what i think is continuously trying to be stamped out at every turn if you go on do you go on social media very much i'm trying to cut back I'm, i don't do facebook i don't really do instagram but tw twitter is my fucking i don't know it's it's the one thing that i can't quite cut out and i yeah. don't know why um well i always say and this might be this might just be you know wishful thinking i always say that i wouldn't be on social media if i weren't promoting myself as an artist but i don't know I'm very easily addicted to media and like images and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm on that shit a lot. And I actually got really entrenched in it, I think during the really the first year and a half of COVID because a lot of my plans around language arts unit kind of became more remote or disappeared entirely. Mm -hmm. um, so social media became like, and you know, that became the main tool for circulating information and getting people to just kind of know and push things forward for my career um also you know there's not much interest i have from institutions and people in the industry musically so i was talking with a label a few years ago and i got really excited and i was like oh my god like you know things might happen people might be interested in me and they you know they told me explicitly your music is great we think you're really talented but you don't have enough followers for us to sign you so I really took that and tried to invest time in social media by building some kind of outward brand, if you will, as I much as I hate that word, you know, it's, it's, it's real kind of uh, social proof of like what I was doing, you know? And so like that shit really, that shit really caused me to emphasize the use of social media. And as a creator on social media, you're also a consumer. Um, you can't stop the flood. So yeah, yeah, it's been, you know, I've been thinking very, 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 very consistently about how to really define my my usage of social media and try and limit its influence on me as much as I can. Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes like being me being somewhat incongruous is like a middle finger to recognition in the algorithm, the mm -hmm. algorithm, capital A, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because I'm just like, I get really fucking bent out of shape by it. I'm like, ah, man, you know, fuck this fucking shit. Blah, blah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I completely get that. Fuck this fucking shit. The, the algorithm is like a demonic entity that you got to like, it's uh, important to figure out how to bend to your will without being subsumed by it. But you actually have some of my favorite things to say about authenticity in Language Arts Unit, the textbook. You had this banger line uh, where you refer to yourself as an unreliable narrator 
who speaks and writes in terms that I compulsively designate and redesignate as unpossessed. Yeah. I like that line too. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I remember that one. <laughs> there's, there's a, uh, there's a lot to unpack there though. Like with the uh, authenticity is a big subject of debate across all the arts, as far as like its relevance to the artist and their art and even the definition of like, what do you mean by authenticity? So as the, as the penman behind that banger line, I kind of want to get your, your take a little bit on the authenticity angle of how you're presenting yourself and the art that you're creating. I think I've been learning to be more unapologetic, uh, tapping into those, those things. Um, and then it's funny, it's almost like it's, 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 it's that, it's that times itself. It's being unapologetic about being unapologetic while also having room for accountability and being able to learn from like maybe your like the flailing that comes with that. I think with Stalin Bollywood, that was like the project where I was the most reactionary, not in the even the way it outwardly seems. I actually made that project because I felt somewhat, I was somewhat uh, projecting it and I somewhat actually felt it, that people were looking at, listening to my music and looking at what I was doing and they didn't quite understand it or they didn't really feel it. So the easy thing to say was just, well, that's a person who like can never really say anything that makes sense. He's just kind of being abstract needlessly and yada, yada, yada. Um, so Stalin Bayou was like my kind of middle finger, at least conceptually, of being reactionary this way and saying, you know what, like, you don't think, you think that like, I'm not saying anything or I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to say some shit, <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to be very declarative. So with that project, you know, I mean, like the, the title cut, I haven't gotten any like, like the first track, I haven't gotten anything about that. No one's like. Gonna, no one's tried to stab me in the neck, you know, about the Prophet Muhammad. Like, no one's tried to do that. I don't think they will. Fingers crossed. Um, but I had to, like, stand by it and say, you know, and, and realize, yeah, like, I'm someone who actually, even though I could defend it and I did successfully defend it in saying, look, I don't want to portray the prophet Muhammad. I'm talking about like the act of doing it. How close can you get to blasphemy without being blasphemous? You know, mm. but I realized, you know, in terms of authenticity and, and, and just me being myself, being unapologetically unapologetic while also leaving room for a bit of um, sensitivity and learning. I realized, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed that project and I enjoyed what it did but it made me realize, yeah, you know, I want to make people challenge themselves, but I also don't want to make people feel angry and, and attacked if they're not really, you know, if, if I don't kind of have some animus towards them, then they, I don't feel like they should rightfully feel that way, you know? So people who felt that way about, you know, anything, um, I was really thinking, yeah, you know, I mean, I definitely was doing some hip fire and I was like, you know, doing uh 
a really kind of big survey of outrage. Um, but yeah, it made, it, made me, it made me think about like, you know, damn, I'm like kind of a sensitive person and, and you know, I don't want to, I'm, 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 I value that. And learning to like, especially creating between so many art forms, you know, it might seem like a bad career move to just like, I don't know, maybe in a few years, I'll just like won't release music for a few years and just focus on painting. That's me, you know, that's authentic to me. I, I've been painting longer than I have been making music. Um, your paintings, by the way, I got to interject. I'm sorry, <laughs> but your, your paintings are so fucking good. Thank it's you. ridiculous how good your paintings are. Thank like you. I, I was, uh, I was scrolling on my phone, which, as we know, is the ideal way to look at paintings. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was just like, God damn, this dude's got the sauce. Thank you. Yeah. Like the the, you. the painting the paintings are ridiculous, dude. So Thank good. You. Thank you. I know they're like also not for everyone too. Like my friend wanted to buy one and he said, Yeah, it's tight, but like it might be a little creepy for my bedroom. I was like, fair enough, man. You know, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I fuck with no, yeah. Creepy's good. Creepy's good. Yeah. Like just just keep keep doing your thing, man, because um Thank you. yeah, I was uh was the best thing I saw all day while I was scrolling through all your art on your website. Um, cause I'd been listening to the music and, you know, looking at the, at the written stuff and, but then I saw the paintings and I was like, Oh, this guy's like David Lynch. He's a painter. You're, you're, you're a painter. Who's, who's, who's known for this, you know, this other medium, right? Everybody knows David Lynch cause of Twin Peaks and Eraserhead and shit, but he's a painter and he'll yeah. tell you that he's a painter at heart. And, uh, yeah, so you're you're in that uh, very storied and beautiful lineage of people. Um, sorry to gush, but the, oh, the paintings I, I, are so good. And I, I, I need that, you know. I've, life life's been fucking weird as much as it's been, you know, great. Life's been weird, so thank you. I do need that. Um, you're welcome. I appreciate that. Learning to accept compliments. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. For me, also, that relates to like the beginning of our conversation and where, you know, I was going in the sense of uh, largely like, you know, yeah, at heart, I, I am like an impressionist. Um, I really want to like give, evoke feeling in the work. So the painterly approach to writing, to, 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 to uh, music composition and to actual visual arts is, re is really important. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, you know, authenticity is really weird. I mean, definitely also, you know, there's a component for me too, where it's like, yeah, everyone who's ever like tried, everyone is in the industry who's ever kind of tried to take interest in me. It's either been like, you don't have enough followers or like change this, um, <laughs> change that. And um, sometimes I feel like, I don't know, I, I you know, I grew up in a, a very, uh, pluralistic environment, multicultural family, um, the aggressively ethnically ambiguous, you know, title was based on, you know, it's auto, it's autobiographical, just kind of like, I think the modern history of the world we live in is, is afflicted by notions about race and culture. And, you know, all these things that we visually represent in phenotypes or in, in lang or, or in how we speak or in 
the languages that we know, they're wrapped up in so much symbolism. There's just so much symbolism in, 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 in um, you know, the shape of someone's nose or the hair that someone has. And it's, it's really fucked up, but you know, it's very subconsciously deep in our culture. And, and I think just being someone who kind of has been really hard for people to categorize and not on some, you know, shit where it's like, woe is me. I've had to really own like the ability that like, like sometimes literally people, I don't know if they're just ignorant or something like, you know, I don't make sense to them based on who I am, whether that's in speech, whether that's in how I look, whether that's in something. I feel like it's taken a, a while, but it's always been there where like, it's, it's really allowed me because, you know, sometimes I don't even have to talk or do anything and uh, somehow I'm incomprehensible. Um, so to, 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 to someone, you know, someone, it's not like mm -hmm. I'm constantly being, you know, surveilled or something by walking places, but you know, we all get ignorant comments thrown at us or, or like stairs that go on too long and you have to think about what's going on behind the stair. Um, all my one star reviews on Goodreads are basically yeah. like this, this shit didn't make any sense. I'm like, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, the it's it's hard man and that's i think that's always that's always enabled me a little bit to divest from expectation and just be myself and be authentic that way if that's how i can define authenticity going back to the you know trying to define what it is i mean to answer kelby's question you know um all that matrix of that yeah yeah i, I just think it's important to really get a grip on who you owe authenticity to. Like I owe authenticity to my wife, uh, to my son, yeah. uh, to Kelby. Right. Cause you know, we talk on the phone, I'm going to be real with him. Um, but outside of, you know, these ever expanding circles of social engagement, I don't, I don't owe authenticity to a rando who finds my Twitter account. That shit could all be fake. It doesn't matter, right? I could be completely <laughs> yeah. scamming you and it doesn't fucking matter. Like I, I could be presenting an image that is so far from the me who's really me. And it's like, dude, the internet exists. The you who's on the internet is not you anyway. So why not fuck with it, right? Like why not play with that dynamic a little bit? The only people who really need to know who I really am are people who I care about. Everybody else, it's just marketing. <laughs> it's just yeah. <laughs> you know, present yourself. Mythologizing. No, Mythologizing. I really Mythologizing. I really fuck with that myth making approach to uh, the brand. I've always hated brand and I, I've always been somebody who like in my gut I feel like authenticity matters more than anything like that's something that i would have said and stood behind several years ago but further into the internet i'm like what does that even mean and especially like i've grown you know that's something i would have said back when i was still writing the shit that i write about which is very close to home and i was still like slanging dope and living out of my car and like i would have been like yeah authenticity 100 percent matters it's like the most important thing and now i'm like like I'm further in the artist game where authenticity becomes a commodity and I don't want to exploit 
my identity for exactly. for it. uh for some kind of commercial gain you know what i mean yep byung Han talks about this authenticity becomes just another thing that you can sell and that is the final step of true you know just like like being in the shit and actually selling yourself for who you are like who you are it's kind of like i'm big into uh magic and the occult and the occult communities and people are always talking about like the rituals that they're doing and shit and I was like, dude, the word occult means like underneath, like secret. You're not supposed to talk about that shit, right? You're supposed to keep it <laughs> private. And and so when people come out and they're like, oh yeah, I just I was attempting to do a you know a bornless right or whatever. It's like don't fucking don't tell people like the authenticity thing. It's all like your deep, profound spiritual experience, whether that's on ayahuasca or mushrooms or LSD or doing these, you know, Crowleyan rituals or whatever, it's all becoming fodder for a TikTok algorithm to figure out where you slot so that they, so that they can fucking sell, you know, athletic greens to people. It's, it's not like you have to, authenticity went from something. And I think our Gen X friends of this podcast are, you know, having an aneurysm right now because to like the Gen X Gen X was on the front lines of this and they tried to guard authenticity as hard as they could, but they lost. So now authenticity to me is, is synonymous with occult secret. Like you don't need to know who I fucking am, right? Mm -hmm. This, this is, it's, it's all an image and you don't, not, not only do you not need to know, you don't get to know who I actually am. I'm actively going to put false information out there to fuck with that shit because my avatar is not who I am. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I really like how you framed it in terms of who I, who, I, who I owe it to because yeah, authenticity, I think nowadays it's not, you know, it's just synonymous with the, some type of audience and authenticity, I think is more like more personal, more intimate than that. Mm -hmm. um, but that, it got me to think, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been just kind of conceiving like my version of mysticism for myself, um, <laughs> you know, and, and what you said about the occult and, and not, you know, being defined by avatar. I was like, yeah, you know, the, the new, the new mystics are like really the people who doing like radical privacy. I don't know. It's like a radical mm -hmm. privacy about it. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, data mind and, there's metadata. My friend, like I was, I was talking to this person who was doing metadata for the U.S. Open, mm -hmm. like, recording the swings that were happening, what type of thing happened at what moment. I was like, whoa, everything mm -hmm. is being cataloged, uh, you know, to be referenced by whom, for whom, uh, the archons, for what, the archons, for what dollar, <laughs> what dollar sign, you know. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I fuck with that a lot. Yeah. Well, this is a good spot, I think, uh, to transition into house who talk. Kelby, you want to lead us in the, in the house who talk? So, uh, like I said, I vibe with shit, and I watched it today, <laughs> and uh, it's it's crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> what yeah. what what happened in that movie? Uh, Nah, I'm playing. I, I kind of remember it. Like seven, uh, the seven dwarves, they 
are represented in this film as Japanese schoolgirls. I did uh, not make that connection. Right. Gorgeous fantasy pro like they they all they all get these pseudonyms, right? They are the seven dwarves. <laughs> yeah. And and in the late like the auntie has white hair, right? So I thought yeah. there was like okay. There's like some kind of crazy uh does it make sense? What does it mean? Who who knows? But I was I don't know. I was thinking Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs while watching it. It's huh. this this experimental movie. Like you said, it, it was like largely inspired. It's very free associative the way it was developed. It's largely inspired by the director's confiding with his child daughter about what is scary to her, like what would be scary to a little girl. And you get things like, oh, what if the piano could like what if the keys could bite you and what if you know you go to take a bite out of a watermelon and it's a human head mm -hmm. and so you get perfect fodder for a movie that is very very much a moving painting and a vibe piece that's pretty much to i mean any kind of plot it's seven chicks go to a house that is haunted and the ant there is feeding off of the the youth, the energy source of yeah, she's kind of like a succubus these type little girls. figure. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There were so many um techniques that were used. And I think the thing that was really tonally, it was just so interesting because it was shot, it looked like largely shot on like a sound stage. And it looked like a sitcom, just in terms of the actual camera and the frame rate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I love that. It was like, I was, it just, I think it completely shifted your expectation in that way, uh, at least in, in, it did for me. Um, yeah, I just loved how it really visually looked like a sitcom. And there was the tone of that too, with like, I forget when the cobbler or something was working. Or who the handyman or something was working? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like this is like I, this is like a, an intro to a yeah a sitcom. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, it did. It did kind of have like the too many cooks vibe. Y'all remember that that video from like I don't I don't know six seven years ago now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like a, a sitcom and it got progressively weirder as it went on. But yeah, totally hand painted sets. Uh, Toho allowed Obayashi to use their biggest set to do whatever he wanted with. Uh, Obayashi um, came up with this idea, sold it to Toho at the time, the biggest studio in Japan. And uh, no director that they had on staff would accept this project. Because they were like, this is going to ruin my career. <laughs> and Obayashi kept saying, Obayashi kept saying, like, let me direct it. And they're like, no, you're not an employee. And they finally made an exception just for him to make this movie. And what's really fucking funny to me is that they commissioned him initially to because Jaws was a big hit, 77, right? You got Star Wars, you got Jaws. They wanted him to make a Jaws type movie. And this is what he came back with. And this is a this is like a creative environment that makes me feel very I feel like I would have thrived 
at this point, right? Like you want me to make Jaws, I make Haosu, uh, <laughs> and, and it just gets made. You're like, damn, I would have fucking been eating back then. I would have just been like, you know, doing all my weird shit. But uh, yeah, a lot of the effects, Reese, you mentioned uh, a lot of these kind of practical effects. What's funny about that is that Obayashi didn't know if the effects would work because a lot of it was post-production. Hmm. Uh, the scene where uh, Prof is in all the blood, you know, and she's like kind of floating or whatever. Yeah. She was getting sprayed initially with blue paint and they were using some kind of chromatic reversal effect to make that red in post-production and nobody knew if that was going to work when they did it. So he, uh, being interviewed later, he said like, yeah, not everything in that movie actually looks the way that I wanted it to, but he intentionally wanted it to look childlike and fake, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that was, that was his goal when he started making it. I mean, there's a degree of, I think it's really hard to get this in the format of film that makes sense in terms of just for me, it, it feels so spontaneous. The whole thing. I'm sure if I watch it again, you know, it might feel like things happen. You know, if I'm sure I watched a hundred times, I know when things would happen. But there was a spontaneous uh, energy to it, and just kind of quality. I mean, even down to the sound design of. Uh, I think it was in the first scene or something when Gorgeous comes home to her her father, and there's just these like, ec- there's these sound effects that just cut in and out that have mm. no that have no right being in the scene, you know. Um, just yeah. things like that. It's it's like it's kind of it's it's a bit jazzy like that. And it's being shot through this wall that's like a late '90s Burger King stall divider, you know, <laughs> or like a like a public park bathroom divider with these like bricks of glass that they're shooting it through. I thought that was great. Yeah, I love those bricks of glass. Those are like that's where uh, my my wife is big on interior design and everything. And that's where we clash hardest is like, I'll see those bricks of glass. I'm like, oh yeah. She's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm like, just, just in like, you know, just like in our, in our bathroom or something. She's like, absolutely not. No. When I was living in Korea, they had that shit in the bathroom and it, it, it was fucking cool. It was kind of trippy. Be like hungover. You spent all night in Itaewon, you know, and you go home and you wake up and you're taking a shower and there's those bricks of glass in the bathroom. It's a, it's, it's a vibe like architecture and interior design used to have these kind of psychic, almost psychedelic effects. Um, because if you're in a room, the room is also in your head, right? So wherever you stay, you start to kind of think that way. And we lost something when we lost those uh, those kind of gaudy. Have y'all ever been to Graceland? I've not. No, I haven't. No, I, have, dude, I haven't either. Dude, I would love to just eat mushrooms and go to Graceland because it's such a weird, trippy, psychedelic late '70s artifact that's been preserved in time. It was like, oh man, people back then were on some different shit. Now we have we have very strict floor plans for how we're supposed to live, and uh, Elvis didn't give a shit about any of that. He was just <laughs> like, "This is the jungle room, 
and it has a fountain <laughs> and elephant ear ferns and fucking, you know, green, lush green carpeting. It was a different thing, dude. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, now you, any major city or even any city, not even major, you go to, you know, all the condominiums and apartments have that formula. Where it's like, welcome to the welcome to the 501. Yeah. Like, what, what What is that? And it's in that fucking like kind of sans serif, uh, you know, lithe, cold font, you know, and, but people really want to live in that shit. It's like what, it's like what capitalist propaganda told us Soviet, the Soviet world would look like. And we did it anyway, right? Byung-Chul Han talks about this all the time. He talks about the smooth, the fact that our iPhones are so smooth that everything has to be smooth. It has no edges. And, uh, it's so true. It's there were so, so, many, so many edges in this movie. I loved it. Yeah. So many yeah, exactly. The, the fucking green, the, not the, the blue screen, the blue screen effects, they were just so, you could see where, you know, there was still remnants of um, either the cloth they were draped in or the cloth around them. And I was like, mm-hmm. it works. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it's there. It's, it just is. I love when Gorgeous's face starts disintegrating when she's looking in the mirror. And she lights oh, on yeah. fire. Because that, that reminded me of uh, 2018's uh, Twin Peaks The Return, right? Where uh, that lady opens up her face and it's just black underneath. This movie, Haosu, where, you know, uh, Gorgeous's body like turns into an inferno and, you know, it feels more effective than hundred million dollar special effects do and i'm trying to figure out what the difference is right because i i was at home i was with my son i turned on thor love and thunder and yeah. uh and the special effects just kind of suck like they're not good right. um the movie's not great either but i'm like but then i watched this movie and i'm like fuck yes and then, then i think what's the wait what what's different about this and i think that i think what it is is that in 1977 it was it was people human beings experimenting with these techniques and now it feels like uh (laughs) you know jaundiced eyed underpaid you know cubicle workers under halogen lights trying to meet a deadline you know what i mean yeah maybe seeing 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 the hand you know seeing the, the hand behind the work and also i do think like it does remind you that it's not real but i think because you already know it's not real but it's so well done in these or not well done but so realistically done in these new movies it just doesn't activate anything other than like maybe a short term it relies purely on fooling you rather than actually feeling something i think mm-hmm. um so that, that that's that, that that's like what I've been thinking, you know, for a while, just in terms of in terms of thinking about the the proliferation, the use of special effects, and being on also being someone who plays a lot of video games, and uh, seeing the graphics get better, but the experience kind of being more stale or stagnant. Yeah, Gaspar No, who did uh, Irreversible and Enter the Void, when when he released Climax which is a movie that has a bunch of, you know, ballet dancers and shit. He was asked, uh, you know, what kind of movies are you watching these days? And he said, I don't watch movies. I watch uh, Cirque du Soleil because I like watching human 
bodies in motion. Mm-hmm. And that got me thinking about, you know, these old Charlie Chaplin movies where the house falls on him, but he's standing in the exact spot where the house doesn't fall. And the reason why that's so compelling to look at is because a real person had real shit on the line. Hong Kong action movie, Jackie Chan, right? Like you watch Rumble in the Bronx and it's exciting because Jackie Chan is actually doing that shit. Um, once you give it all over to computers, it's it's much less interesting. True. Yeah, I agree. Uh, or if you don't let the computer be humanized, I think you smooth it come back to your boy yeah yeah because the computer can become an extension of the human being like there's ways to you know use these utilize these tools to get something like express something but when you lose that expression and the tool becomes the shortcut rather than like you know you don't you don't bring any materials to it you just you're just using it or, or coming up with a way for it to use itself even. It's like, why are, why are we even here? Why are we even doing this? Yeah, yeah if, you get, if you get a guy who's being paid $85,000 a year to miss his kid's soccer practice so that he can make this effect in Thor look good, he's not going to do that. <laughs> he's just going to be like, yeah, no. Meanwhile, Haosu is a passion project where uh, an actual artist is because obayashi um you know he lost all of his childhood friends in the the bomb at hiroshima right like all of his friends died that was where he was born it's where he grew up and uh he had this kind of drive to say something with every one of his movies and uh you can just tell when somebody gives a shit versus not Mm, i didn't i didn't know that about his uh biography but yeah that's that that makes it um because the bomb's in this movie and it's just kind of inserted you know and the 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 one character is you know she's waiting for her lover to come back and he died in the war and um the 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 bombs are really something that i think history has overlooked in terms of how devastating they were, right? On the high end, 200,000 people just evaporated in a second. Like that does something to a cultural consciousness. And that makes the art uh, a bit heavier, I think. Yeah, there's the shadow. I mean, the shadow of it Mm -hmm. It passed inherently, you know, so, so far to the future. What, uh, What RPGs are you playing or what games are you playing right now? Uh, I'm 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 a I'm a bro right now. I'm just playing a lot of Halo Infinite with my friends online. Um, What's up? But uh, I finished a run through of Fallout New Vegas uh, finally yeah. after having it stolen from me like ten years ago. I finally got it online. I got a, a digital download version of it. I finally cracked through the frustration in Elden Ring. I'm just yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've been kind of like just like I fucking I hated, I hated that game and I was like I spent six fucking dollars on this stupid ass game. I better fucking play it. Mm-hmm. So I got mm-hmm. through and I was like, oh shit, yeah, it's actually kind of tight. Uh, yeah, I'm a big Elden Ring guy. Yeah, yeah. I beat that one the uh, I don't know months and months ago now. But I'm a big like Dark Souls, Bloodborne 
guy so yeah i don't know i'm like i'm a pretty chill guy so um Mm -hmm. anything that makes me angry is not really my cup of tea (laughs) um and those games make me angry so i'm glad that like that has that has moved moved out the way for um a little bit more exploration and wonder in that world um now that Mm -hmm. i'm a little, little little better powered you know what i mean um but yeah i mean like I, I, the first, you know, games that really stuck out to me and kind of compelled me uh, were like the Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind and Diablo 2, games yep. like that. And it's funny how those series and those, those game companies, I think to a certain extent, have experienced a bit of the same culture shift that we're talking about too, where they've optimized their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've optimized out a bit of the uh, the character and um, I don't know the I wouldn't say the difficulty but just like a bit of the unwieldiness of of the experiences um, I think that's yeah. Yeah, definitely across culture across forms that's definitely the unwieldiness the incongruousness is is kind of the first thing to go um, and I always value shit that, that has that to it. I think that's what Elden Ring has, and that's why it's such maybe a surprise that it it's such a smash success because it's a weird, it's a weird thirty billion game. copies. It's a weird, <laughs> weird, it's a weird ass. A it's weird, weird. Ass yeah, weird. yeah, yeah. I, I think of you know the first uh, Silent Hill game, yeah, being being so heavy on the fog, you know. And uh, the the fact that that fog was necessary because of the graphical limitations of the system at that time. So they they, they couldn't do something. So they said, oh, well, what if everything was shrouded in fog? And now it's, I see Silent Hill 1, 2 memes all over the, because people are like, what what are these amazing games that had this this thick fog everywhere? (laughs) And the only reason the fog was because I remember being a kid in like 1998, 99 and, uh, you know, EGM or PSN or all these gaming mags would be dunking on games for having fog because they just, they, they couldn't process the environment. And then that became Silent Hills trademark basically. So yeah, it's like these limitations become the the form itself. Yeah, I really I really appreciate that, and I think that's like been a guiding principle, um, particularly in my music, is because I don't have much musical training, but again, like rhythm, I've gotten a long way on rhythm. You know, I, I went from making very, um, like fucking. Uh, what's the word elementary beats to i mean yeah making like a fucking whole ass new wave song on one record you know um and that just came through well the guiding principle is do the dynamics work well is there a, a way that this moves forward and like just the limited the limited musical vocabulary i i i have i've had um I, I don't know, you know, uh, lack, lack definitely can help. Lack definitely can help. Um, and not even lack, just, um, 
I think drawing things in a little, a little closer, having less variables to work with, and not trying to, to articulate everything, or not being able to articulate everything and recognizing that, right? Recognizing that you can't make it perfect. So you just gotta do what you feel. I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, that's like, that's Haosu, right? That's Haosu. Haosu, basically, he was just like, you know, I don't want this to look pristine and, and clean. He said that throughout the the shooting of the film. He's like, no, it's going to look this way. And it's going to look like kind of a child's interpretation of what a scary thing is. And that's just what we do. And I, I want to see people move that way with current technology like make a really scary thing but make it with the weird facebook meta template you know what i mean like take that shit and use it they don't have any they, they don't have legs right what does that say when you have a social media platform with people who you can talk to but nobody has legs it's interesting hmm. yeah don't have legs to stand on that's a Metaf- unintentional metaphor right mm-hmm. <laughs> right for the system itself <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> speaking of legs what were y'all's uh what were y'all's favorite like kill set pieces of this movie huh. that's really that's i mean that's really hard i think i think the piano i was gonna say the piano too <laughs> <laughs> the piano is so good it's how the keys line up, how she gets chewed up, and then there's like a like a Dario Argento kind of homage with all the piano wire around her for like a split second. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was um, the piano was a really good kill. I also kind of like the dumb shit, like the girl who gets killed with mattresses and pillows. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's kind of fun too. The cat shooting blood out of its mouth the painted cat is pretty great oh god yeah all the all the projectile blood really got me I, I loved the way that the blood looked somewhere between like a paint texture and a liquid it was really upsetting and and how fake it looked but how much of it there was just coming every out of everywhere uh I like that the pervert teacher turned into a bunch of bananas too. That was good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Also, like realizing and reading just a little bit about the movie that like the um, girls get eaten by a house was his the daughter's idea. Yep, I think that also like changes my uh, uh, ideas about like like the the gender um, kind of connotations in it. Um, that it makes it a little more innocent for me, which I was like, okay, yeah. You know, like if there are any flowing thoughts in mind, I was like, huh, I know there's like a, a definite um, kind of like, let's kill little girls um, <laughs> just because there's like, a, funny to watch. There's a die. lasciviousness though, yeah. right? Like there's, there's still a lasciviousness to the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like the guy's constantly putting these girls in you know skimpy outfits and there's there's like way more nudity than i expected like especially towards the end i was like damn there's a whole floating torso just with titties 
Yeah. Right. Like this, it's not, it's not like a, there's still a little bit of that uh, pulse, I guess. Throughout uh, yeah, there's a lot of it, but it, it, it made me a little, it made me a little less, um, well, it, yeah, it made me a, a little bit more, okay, maybe, you know, it wasn't totally, there, there was another activation point for it being schoolgirls, you know. <laughs> it kind of didn't feel, I don't know, this might seem like, a, like people might watch this movie and be like, what are you talking about? But in a weird way, it didn't feel pervy to me. It just yeah. felt like, you know, I don't know, it, did, it didn't feel uh, lingering, kind of like Brian De Palma, Paul Verhoeven, sort of uh, soupy, seedy sexuality and more just like here think, it is I think, I think it was really because it was really stupid too <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah in the, in the best way possible um also yeah i mean there really were no i have at certain point there were really no men in the movie um so it was really like yeah it was just the, the girls and the spirit and the house, the genderless house, you know, the genderless <laughs> house, the non-binary house. That actually, um, the the no men thing kind of started feeling like a uh, a theme, whereas it's presented as like the the girls, like one of them or a few of them, are kind of crushing on the teacher. It's like your love, Mr. Togo, is gonna come, and then. <laughs> Later on, their 1977 was so different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of importance placed upon being manly. You know, they they keep saying like, "Oh yeah, he's so manly," and then they say that that one girl, Kung Fu, like she's manlier than even him. But uh, <laughs> by the end, it's just the girls. So there's kind of this. Um, to me, it, it being when it gets into that unsettling territory and uh, becomes as, as weird and psychedelic and crazy as it is, it does become a horror film. It felt uh, scary to me, the like no man theme, because it's like it, it felt like the fear of being a man who realizes actually no he can't save the day right like he's coming he wasn't invited to the house he didn't make the promise that he was going to be there to the ant so that so he couldn't even see the house because it doesn't exist it's like a ghost house so he gets there and he's like where are they and uh i don't know that that like there was a lot of buildup that seemed like it it seemed like it wasn't build up it seemed like it was just silly all the like manly haha my my knight in shining armor it just felt silly until that moment where it turns into like a, a point of of terror where it's like oh no y'all aren't y'all aren't getting saved yeah right. and he's 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 kind of this like van helsing who sucks you know <laughs> what i mean it's like he's <laughs> <laughs> He just he fucking he fails at the first test, bro. Like the 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 weird shopkeeper watermelon guy uh turns him into bananas immediately. <laughs> so he's he's just he's worthless. Yeah, yeah, that's that's funny. That's funny, yeah, he's worthless. He's just a just a bunch of bananas. 
<laughs> He's just a bunch of bananas. <laughs> Poor Emmy. I was cracking up so hard at that. I was uh, actually watching that part uh, with my son. And before there was a lot of stuff where I was like, uh, you don't need to be seeing this movie. But uh, not quite yet. He's three, maybe when he's seven. But mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but the bananas thing, we were both laughing at that. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like this actually is a good children's movie at a certain age. I think it would scare the shit out of a kid. I remember when I was uh, like seven or eight. No, probably younger, like four or five. But I had this obsession with the movie E.T. Right? And the only thing that that fucked me up about E.T. was E.T.'s fingers. Like his weird long fingers fucked me up. And so I would be laying in bed at night and I would imagine, you know, E.T.'s fingers coming up over the side of the bed to like grab me or whatever. And I felt that with Haosu because, you know, it's all these like childhood fears or whatever. Because we all have fears of like, what if somebody fucking cut my dick off that would be scary right um (laughs) but when you're a kid you're not thinking someone's gonna cut your dick off it's just those fingers are fucking weird and uh i think house captured that pretty good yeah what is your i think in closing um reese what is your most irrational childhood fear Getting your dick cut off? (laughs) No, no, no. I don't know, like, why, why I, I thought this. I can't even remember consciously saying it, but my parents do because they they laugh about it and they're like, that was so dark. I used to be worried that like a priest would come into my room at night and kidnap me. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's because like there, I mean there there are, like you know, endless endless uh you know cases coming out these days but i think at the time for some reason there was like a big catholic you know church bust or something about sexual um abuse and molestation of of, uh you know by priests so i was like but the fact that like at night a priest would just come through the window and take me away um (laughs) 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 that was a perverse child man (laughs) that's too funny I feel like your parents should probably feel a little bit better that you are their child instead of me. My irrational fear was that I was going to kill my parents. (laughs) I didn't didn't want to, but I had this... I had this image where, like, I was just like, fuck, what if I, like, one day I just... I just stab my parents in their sleep. Like, that I would hate that. (laughs) while listening to marilyn manson right (laughs) marilyn manson on the every fox news argument yeah (laughs) right it's like and and i was that kid too i was playing grand theft auto i was you know watching movies i shouldn't have been watching i was you know i was listening to marilyn manson like yep 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 (laughs) damn that's that's that that really is outrageous yeah I'm still I'm still terrified of being kidnapped by a priest. If a priest came through my window, it's curtains. 
it's done. Shooting <laughs> that guy. He has no no good intentions. Well, by this time, Grapefruit Radio drops on the 14th, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so Grapefruit Radio is out now. Reese Langston, langstonia.org. Follow on all the Spotify, SoundCloud, anything you want to leave the people with. The floor is all yours, my friend. Invest in your own titles and honorifics and post them on social media if you have to post on social media. Cover your tracks with your own, you know, uh, with your own, with the world of your own making, I should say. Yeah. Holla. Holla, 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 holla.